designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. (laughs) The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tails behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. Welcome to Tangible Remnants. I'm Nikita Reed, and this is my show where I explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I'm excited that you're here, so let's get into it. Welcome back. This week's episode features a fun conversation with me, Sandra Little, and Karen Burton. Unfortunately, we had some audio issues and lost the majority of Karen's audio, so there'll be a little bit of infill to help close the gaps in what she was saying. I still did want to include the portion of Karen's audio that we did capture, since I know it's powerful to be able to hear someone's voice when they're telling their story. This was such a fun conversation, and it reminded me that we all have agency and oftentimes have to follow our own curiosity to get to the answers we're looking for. These women are multi-passionate and wear many hats. Sandra Little, FAIA, is a Principal and Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Quinn Evans, and Karen is the co-founder of Space Lab Detroit. In addition to their full-time jobs, they also launched a research project called Noir Design Parti to raise awareness about African-American architects' impact in shaping the landscape of Detroit and surrounding areas. Their research then evolved into a fantastic podcast called Hidden in Plain Sight. The show is part of the Gable Media Network and focuses on lifting the voices and elevating the careers of Black architects who are passionate, community-oriented, yet often overlooked. Historically, the work of Black architects has not been recognized at the same level and through the same lens as their non-Black peers. And although they attain the same education, perform on the same project teams, and complete similar project types, most often Black architects' credentials are questioned and their work often goes unnoticed. And so with a focus in Detroit, Michigan, their show weaves together stories from the careers and lives of Black architects and highlights the Hidden in Plain Sight projects for their award-winning Noir Design Parti project. It really is such an inspiring show. So check it out if you want to hear more stories from Black architects in their own voices. 
head over to our podcast webpage at Tangible Remnants to see some highlights of Nathan Johnson, who was one of the trailblazing architects that we talked about in this episode. And as always, you can click on our bio on Instagram to get links to more resources and upcoming podcast events. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation between me, Sandra Little, and Karen Burton. So why don't we just jump right in? And I would love to know, I guess we'll start with Sandra and then go to Karen. So what got you into the profession? Oh, wow. Art, the love of art and drawing brought me into the profession. My mom taught me how to draw. I like, I wanted to draw, but she sat down with me uh-huh. like, oh, here, let's, you know, let's try to draw this, this, it was a Santa Claus. It's like, we just try to draw this together. So we were drawing that. But always tell everybody I knew my mom did not play. So I was, when I got older and started to hear about artists and starving artists, and I said, well, I need to find a career that I could dabble in art and creativity mm-hmm. maybe, or, you know, something that's more stable. I started to research like, you know, different careers around art and and the profession of architecture sounded really right. prestige, right? So learned a little bit more about it and really started to get into it once I started to learn about the profession. So it was art that brought me there, but I was I I, I felt good when I told my mom I want to be an architect. So Karen, what about you? Well, when I was in the fourth grade, one of my friends' dads came to our class and he was really good at he brought some sketches of African American leaders national leaders. And he was an architect. And I was like, oh, I like to draw. I like to sketch. And maybe I'll be an architect. But what I didn't know, probably didn't know at the time, was my uncle, Harold Ward, was also an architect here in Detroit. He had passed away when I was really young. But my family kind of steered me in that architecture direction. I was good at art and math. Well, I decided in the fourth grade, I wanted to be an architect. And then my dad would walk us through the houses that were under construction in my neighborhood. And I really liked that, like seeing the, Mm -hmm. I didn't know they were joists and studs and things like that, just seeing the buildings under construction. So that's how I got started. I love that also y'all also knew at a young-ish age Mm -hmm. what you wanted to do. I had a similar background. I basically knew pretty young and then started taking drafting courses in high school. Yes, And so then I know both of y'all know what a mayline and a drafting board is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We we can truly date ourselves and say yes. And lean in over the drafting board and wear a white shirt. Exactly. Get all the pencil marks on it. (laughs) Yes. Right. Oh my goodness. I still have that in my garage too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I still have a drafting board in my in my basement. My son started to use it for tie dyeing. He would lay his shirt down <laughs> mm-hmm. on there and different things. But yeah, it's You're just right. collecting dust now, but it's still down there. Yep. I remember, so at UVA, our my class was the last class that actually had to use a drafting board. The classes after oh, really? us were all computers. <laughs> and it was like, what? So I get, get to be in, be able to talk both, the, you know, try yeah. to talk to some of the youngins, but I don't know. It's very different now. But then so also, no. My, <laughs> it's very in different world. In my last crit... One of my classmates presented a 3D walkthrough of his project. And this was very early on in mm-hmm. 3D. So the the walkthrough was really jumpy and grainy. But we were like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. That's the best thing. <laughs> but not till 10 years later did we right. actually get to see something that actually looked good. Right. So. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you think about how how fast technology has mm-hmm. changed yeah. since then, it's like the the speed of it, the speed of change right. is mm-hmm. so quick now. Hearing about AI oh, and man. multiple general. In, you know versions of of designs and once you have the one started i mean it's mm-hmm. just mind-blowing yeah i'm curious what's next particularly with even i feel like uh chat gbt that hasn't even been out a mm-hmm. year yet and it's already blown up it's kind of oh, crazy I use it all the time mm-hmm. that's yeah. my new research assistant <laughs> see i need to get into it more okay all right and like next year ai computers mm. will come out what's wow. AI laptops so it'll it'll work with you, you know. You like your stuff is integrated with the with the chat B- wow. GPT and different things. You like you just so speak it already to your computer knows what you're start. planning to do. That's that's a little scary. <laughs> and and it probably yeah, like I said, I don't know how far it's gonna go, but like yeah, yeah probably if you're working on something, it's like oh yeah, I've, I found some more stuff on what you're working. <laughs> oh on. my goodness, like, I can oh, see man. the possibilities. I'm just Same. ready. <laughs> yeah, that's so I know amazing. our colleague took. Chat GPT and Mid Journey, and said, I want to develop some renderings for my development project, my affordable housing project. Draw these renderings. Wow. And it was it was close to what he wanted. You know, the room sizes weren't all that weren't right. you know exact, but they look good. But that's fantastic. I mean, it's going to be another tool in our toolbox, this just tool. like that mail yes. was. Yes. But- yeah, wow. learn exactly. how to use the tool. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So then as you both got more into the profession and you looked around and you noticed that there just weren't that many people that looked like you in the profession, I guess, when did you first realize that being a Black woman in architecture was a, a, not necessarily abnormal, but not as not as frequent? So I, I went to a predominantly white college, Lawrence Tech, here in, in Michigan. And it was it was a more of a commuter college. Worker, people who worked went there, but they, you know, they're really known for their the technical side of their program. And so b- being a young person, you know, because there were a lot of people who went to Lawrence Tech that were working and going to school. So they were like directly in the profession and going to school. So I was meeting those people. I would go up to Michigan State to hang out with my cousins, right? So I'm like, they don't have architecture up here, but I got a place to hang on the weekend, right? And I'm like, man, there's a lot more people of color on this campus. You know, that same cousin when she got started working in the profession and I went out to dinner with her coworkers after work, I'm like, yeah, I don't have a table full of coworkers that look Mm -hmm. like this, and meet and every person you do see in the architecture building, I'm like, oh, right. you know, <laughs> you, did you see somebody right. of color? Right. <laughs> so, so that's how I met my business partner and now work colleague Damon Thomas. I was just like, we met at LTU on the college campus. So you like, you knew every black person that was there because you're right. like, look, you okay? You know, right. it's like yeah. that's real. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I think there were a hundred of us in my class at University of Michigan and four were black. So that was way different. I started on an engineering school. So that was a lot different from the engineering school and a lot different from my dorm and, you know, other places that I would hang out. But then when I, I got my first jobs, I was the only, you know, and in most cases, the only woman and the only black person. I mean, at least I did have the advantage of working with minority firm owners who were in Detroit, you know, you had to seek out and find out where the firms were, but there, and there's less today than it was when I started to, to start the profession. But yeah, it was several black 
firm owners coming out of college and a number of uh, colleagues that I had along the years that they work for we work for various of those firm owners. So that's even yours. Your, your experience is even right. more stark. <laughs> right. Goodness. Yeah. And I think the part of the reason why I asked that question is because I think a lot of times some of our non-Black colleagues don't understand how othering the experience can be when you are the only Black person, the only woman of color, and how you kind of have to present yourself a little bit differently to be because otherwise it's like, oh, well, you're not really an architect, right? Or, you know, you can't call yourself an architect if you're not licensed or like all of the credential checking and all of the like proving yourself because basically a bunch of white people keep asking you like, are you sure you belong here? But are you sure is this really what you want to do? And so I I appreciate you guys talking about that experience because I'm also assuming that that experience is what led you to start Noir Design Party. Very much so. Yeah. Right. That's how I started my my career, uh, working for small Black-owned firms. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't know any Black architects besides me. I'm like, what? And and like I said, in college, my my big moment was, and and you're talking about old school. So there used to be this bookstore that you, wasn't Amazon, right? This is (laughs) pre-Amazon. There was this bookstore called the Prairie Avenue Bookstore. That you, it was an architectural bookstore. It was in Chicago that everybody would order books from. Now, all you had was a title and a list, you know, the and it was separated by subject, you know, technical, history, mm-hmm. different things. So you had to read the titles and say, I'm going to order this book. You couldn't flip <laughs> through it. It was no look at it again. And unless you actually went to the Prairie Avenue bookstore on Dearborn Street in, right. in Chicago, you were not going to see what these books look like. So it was a listing of books that would come every month to our architecture school. So we would pick up this paper and I'm looking, you know, I always been a book. I call myself a book collector more than a reader because I had a lot of books and I was like, I need to really sit down and read it. But I'm looking through the list and I'm like, I said, this says African-American architects in practice. Oh, I am definitely ordering this book. So fill out an order form, right? This is what you had to do. It was no computer, right? And you sent it back. So I give my book back and I, it was just, and it was cool the way the book even looked. It was, it was African American Architects in Practice by Jack oh. Travis, and you pull the book out as an all black on black cover that's made of a, a fabric type material, and then the African American Architects is basically embossed in the cover, so it's oh, wow. black on black. And I was like, this is so <laughs> dope, right? That's like flipping the book around, I'm opening it up, and and it just it had architects across the mm. country who had their own firms and. I was just like, wow, you know, and then I see a couple of Detroit architects in there and I'm like, one of them I did recognize, Sims and Varner. The other one was Roger Martin, which I was like, I don't know who this is, but I was like, this is so cool. So that just really excited me. It was like my sophomore year in college. I was like, this is just, I could do this, right? This It was a uplifting experience. So when I finally got involved in NOMA and got to a NOMA conference. I think it was my first NOMA conference where I met Jack Jack Travis. It was in uh, Orlando, Florida. And I was like, oh man, I said, I wish I had my book with me so you could uh-huh. autograph it. I was just like, this is just great to beat you. And I was like, yeah, when, when are you going to do a new... No, actually, I didn't ask him that time. I was just excited, starstruck. But the next time I seen him, I was like, okay, Jack. I said, when are you going to do a new version of this book. I said, there's so many more firms now. He said, well, you know, he was all into Afrocentric architecture mm-hmm. and doing that. He's like, I'm doing other things now. He said, that's for you to do. And then I came back and told Karen <laughs> that story. And she's like, 
well, we need to do a right. book. You know, she's just like, and then we just, it just took off from there. We, we, I mean, we applied for the Nice Arts Challenge. We were like, and we were like, okay, let's at least focus on, you know, we first said Detroit, then it ended up being Michigan. I said, let's just focus mm-hmm. here. Because I didn't know, Karen didn't know, who was the first Black architectist in Michigan? We were like, we have no idea. There's no mm-hmm. history of it, right? We knew of some of the ones we were talking about. But I was like, we don't know who the first person is. So we started there and have built a list of what we call the trailblazers and and a list of people that we know are practicing today. And then we're kind of filling in the gap. Imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Gable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more. Architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA Continuing Education Services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Want to learn more about the unknown ladies of architecture? Then I recommend you listen to She Builds Podcast where we tell the stories of remarkable women who have shaped the design and construction industries. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm Nurjiti. And I'm Lizzie. After we graduated from Syracuse University School of Architecture, we set out to learn and share the untold stories of women that traditional school curriculum left out. One day, there's an announcement on campus that women had been seen wearing, quote, inappropriate clothing. Gasp. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, so it turns out that Ruth and her fellow classmates were these women. They had field classes where they're doing welding, forging, and foundry work. And obviously they have to wear jeans to those classes instead of like dresses or whatever else. While Gertie was in school, she wasn't just going to classes, trying to stay alive like some of us. I know that was me in school, just taking it day by day, Yes, but not Gertie. She became the president of Evigol, an honorary association of Cornell women architects. Of course she did. These are stories not taught in schools. Women who've molded the world of architecture, construction, and development for over a century. From Jane Jacobs to Ray Eames, She Builds Podcast explores the legacies of trailblazers. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. Let's fill the gaps in history together. All you have to do is follow the link in the show notes and subscribe and be part of a movement to expand industry narratives. That's also wild to me how we'll learn, particularly in architecture school, canon is very much about, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, Le Corbusier, like those dudes. But it's like, what about the people here locally that came through the university, the impact that they're having? But yeah, it's just, I'd be curious if hopefully the University of Michigan Architecture School is actually starting to highlight their alum a little bit more now. They are? They they are. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they actually are, st- are starting to do a study of all of the African American or Af- yeah, African Americans that graduated from all of their colleges and to collect the information on each of those individuals. So not just a school of architecture, mm-hmm. but all the schools. So I thought that was a great project that they yeah, started recently. Great. And I'm super excited that y'all have taken a lot of the research that you've done on the Trailblazers and turned it into a podcast because I enjoy listening to all of it. So why don't you talk a little bit about Hidden in Plain Sight? Yeah, we set up our whole podcast and like, I mean, we're our whole project. And then now the podcast is following mm-hmm. that with putting each architect in a generation. Got right? You. We were like the trailblazers, like the the first generation. And if they had a practice before a certain date, we said, OK, this is the first group, first grouping. Is there, you know, for the second grouping, you know, we'll do the same thing and pick, pick a decade and, and put them in that decade. Nice. And yeah, so now, like I said, the. At least we can say this current day generation is bigger than those other decades. And and the list is, is plentiful enough for us to have plenty of people to interview. So, yeah. It's amazing. Yes. And I, also, I should let y'all know that I'm very grateful to you for educating me about Nathan Johnson. Because so recently I was on the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Funds through the National Trust for Historic Preservation. They have a grant for preserving Black modernism. And some of Nathan Johnson's projects were in that pool of projects to be considered. I felt very fortunate to know who Nathan Johnson was before I even went in on that jury, very much thanks to both of you. Right. His whole obituary write-up is in the New York Times. I was just like, this. That's amazing. This this mm-hmm. right here made it worth all the work, right? Yes. To, for him to get his recognition before before right. he passed away, as, as, as what they would say in my church, we yes, get his flowers exactly. now while he's living. But for him to come out, for him to go right. out on top, it was a great, great accomplishment. That makes me feel even more excited and more validated in terms of, yeah, the podcast work, the work you're doing with Noir part, Design Party, all of the work that you're doing, just documenting the history is so important. And I think it's also one of those things where sometimes I forget that we still have agency to continue documenting history. There was one story that Amber Wiley tells about the DeForest brothers in D.C. And they they own the Afro Bicentennial Corporation. And they're responsible for like 75% of the National Register nominations that have to do with African-American heritage. Because it's like, wow. they're like, we're going to use Goodness. preservation as a tool, get all these things documented, get it on there. So I love that you guys are doing something similar in terms of Black architects in Michigan and Detroit, making sure that people are aware of all of the contributions. Oh, wow. You're going to have <laughs> me. Uh, you, wow. And, and we and we didn't think of ourselves like like even when we when we started to make the organization, because like one of the things we were setting up our Google page and different things when we started to get the organization set, it's like it just kept right. growing. Right. And I was like, what are we going to put as a business? And we put research institution. But it's like like you said. Realizing you you have the agency to do something like that is not something that I initially mm-hmm. sought to do when we were starting. Right. You know, it's like, and now it's like, yeah, you know, we, we're historians, yeah, and soon to be right. authors, yeah, yeah, you know. So it's just this whole thing that you know, it's almost like talk to yourself in the mirror and tell mm-hmm. you could do it. You know, you think it's important in the inside, but you don't realize how important it is to the rest right. of the world. And to, like you said, what you shared about knowing about Nathan Johnson until you get deeper right. in the work. It, it really started out selfishly, you know, like how do we find out? So we know right. the history, right? We know 
who's the first licensed black architect. So we'll know who's the first licensed black woman in the state because we didn't know that either. So, and then now it's like everybody else is like, oh wow, that's that's exciting. Right. It's like, oh yeah, everybody else is is excited. You know, it's like it didn't seem important at first, but now right. it's important. It's it's a whole mm-hmm. mind flip. I, I'm still taking it all in, and to hear about this organization is just. Yeah. It just, yeah, it warms my heart to hear that. But then also I love the fact that because of the work that you've done, Google now knows who Nathan Johnson is. You know what I mean? Like it's like y'all are training the AI and the future technology to so people all over the world can research and find out more about all these different architects. Like that's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You have a, you can go through the numbers at the bottom before you can maybe get two (laughs) listings at the top and no photos of him at all. Donald White, none of it. No photos of him at all. Mm-hmm. And then that took us down a, a different rabbit hole, though, is getting into the whole Google search engine optimization yes. and how Wikipedia is the leader of that 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 space and ended up doing a Wikipedia edit-a-thon at the well, it was 50th anniversary NOMA conference in Detroit. So we were... we. We got engaged. We got we had Wikipedia experts <laughs> in the room. We had a nice hackathon, virtual and in-person people helping us to put together some of the sources for the pages and just starting to get that information out there. And we're still trying to get the pages started. Then you have to learn about what it takes to be an editor. That's a whole nother <laughs> can of worms. It's like, I'm, I'm not a trusted editor yet until I do like so many. Huh. Yeah. Oh, the whole process. It was just like, I said, whoa, this is a deep one. I don't know if I, I said, we need, we need to get some more consultants to help finish that pathway. Cause that is a, a deep rabbit hole to go down, but it was very informative. Like you said, learning where to put the information that you're discovering mm-hmm. out there. It's been a learning exercise as well. Yeah. That's great. Cause I'm also thinking of, um, there was one preservation conference I went to where there was someone there who was talking about, you know, the future of AI and the future of technology. But people were bemoaning, oh, you know, our robot overlords and all of that stuff. But then he was like, well, someone's going to have to tell the AI what is culturally important. So preservationists need to be Mm, at the table to be able to make sure that information gets in there. So it's realizing how no one's going to be made irrelevant from the technology that's going to evolve. It's just making sure that we're at the table to keep interfacing and learning. And so the fact that y'all have gone from Maylines to AI to Wikipedia, I love it. But you just made my mind go to a whole nother place where you said all that. I'm like, whoa. Right? So, you know, now, now actually we have to think about mentorship. We have to think about who, you know, who's going to keep this going Mm -hmm. because it it is important. So, yeah, if we get a a little bit more of that going on Mm -hmm. with the mentoring, yeah, we'll be good. We'll we'll have the preservationists at the table for the, for the AI conference. There we go. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely necessary. (laughs) Definitely. Right. And so then... Remind me, when did you guys start Noir Design Party? Hey, so jumping in real quick. Since we lost Karen's audio, I wanted to connect some dots for you. After I asked when they started Noir Design Party, Karen mentioned that it was a 2016 Knights Arts Challenge winner. And Karen and Sandra's submission of Noir Design Party was one of the top 45 winning Detroit projects out of 64 finalists and nearly 1,000 entries. Sandra then goes on to keep explaining more, but just wanted to give you that context. It feels like long and short, though. Yeah, we were like, you know, they had the big public press release and announcement, and we went to an awards ceremony, and, you know, it was a whole celebration of art that night there at an event. 
I was like, oh, we really got to do something now. This is <laughs> this, is, this is it, right? It's like, <laughs> and and from that point, it's just it really did. We just we really got into it. We set up our organization, uh, you know, legally mm-hmm. within the state, and and we really started to yeah move things forward. So. Yeah, it happened so fast. It happened so fast. I love it. That. Well, I'm glad that it did and that y'all keep on doing the amazing things that you're doing. I mean, it's just, that's just amazing, too, to hear, like, you know, you and, and the boards that you sit on, Nikita, and you're like, yeah, I'm hearing tricklings of where I know where this source came mm-hmm. from. And you're like, exactly. <laughs> just That's just powerful to get that report back. <laughs> and to have his name spoken outside of Michigan mm-hmm. in rooms that we don't even know that his name is being said now, right? that ripple effect is far more than we ever mm-hmm. thought that we would and yeah. what's wild, I probably, oh, I probably should have mentioned this. So the, the grant, it was co-sponsored and really funded by the Getty. And so I was at the Getty in mm. California having this conversation, hearing about Nathan Johnson. Wow. And so, you know, it'll be in the Getty archives and all that sort of stuff as well, I'm sure. So, <laughs> yeah, so we, we were, we were able to get, so there was a call for the National African American Museum had a call, it was called Rendering the Invisible. Mm. And they were asking for renderings of Black architects. So we did submit uh, Nathan Johnson's, uh, one of his renderings, and Roger Marjoram, one of his renderings, to the National African American Museum. And then we contacted the family of Sims, mm-hmm. and their family submitted as well uh, to the African American Museum for that. It was it all happened fast. We're like, oh, we need to we need to submit something. We need to right. you know wait a minute. I think I think you're right. I think. Yeah, so that was that was at least three of the trailblazers that got got a chance to to go through that submission process, and we haven't even like looked at other ways to do that because mm-hmm. so many irons in the fire, and like I said, it's mm-hmm. three people really, so it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, yeah, and and the Wikipedia thing was intense. That was literally a, what eight month effort. It was an eight month. That was an eight month wow. effort. Fantastic. And and the other thing is too getting the sources for for black architects, right? Because a lot of them were not published, mm-hmm. right? And so how do you do that, right? And 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 that was a conversation within our in our work and trying to do this. And then we realized we became the catalyst for some of the publications, right? We would talk about in a lecture, this and this architect, then they are mentioned in the article. But before then Got you. And then what like an interview with uh Michigan Radio, which is Michigan Radio is a subsidiary to the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so they did a feature just on Donald White. So then now that's out there, right? So it's these things that you now can link to mm-hmm. that before weren't there. It was nothing for us to link to on Donald White. So it's like we're weaving. Mm-hmm. What a, can I can I say? Tent was it tangible remnant, <laughs> remnants? We have remnants that we're weaving together. <laughs> I'll allow it. I love it. And it's and it's like that. It's just this this connection of, of different things that we realized it was helping the cause, right? Mm-hmm. And all of that was learned along the way. We didn't, you know, we we promoted things on social media, but when we started to get picked up with our articles from and interviews from news sources, then that that gave us that cited source that we needed. Gotcha. For a lot of trailblazers. Thank you so much for listening. Links to amazing resources can be found in the episode's show notes. Special thanks to Sarah Gilberg for allowing me to use snippets of her song Fireflies from her debut album, Other People's Secrets, which, by the way, is available wherever music is sold. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. And now that Tangible Remnants is part of the Gable Media Network, 
you can listen and subscribe to all network partner content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Until next time, remember that historic preservation is a present conversation with our past about our future. We don't inherit the earth from our parents, but we borrow it from our children. So let's make sure we're telling our inclusive history. I saw the first fireflies of summer And right then I thought of you Oh, I could see us catching them And setting them free Honey, that's what you do That's what you do to me I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.